Good morning. Well, my friends, it appears we are at the beginning of the end, and I mean that literally. Uh, today we start our first sermon in the series on Revelation. So uh, open up your Bibles, if you would. Um, your Pew Bibles, you can find it on page 1,218. We're going to read chapter 1, that's verses 1 through 20. This is the word of God, the Lord, to us. I'll wait for the pages to stop rustling so much. <laughs> revelation 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written, what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book. Send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like 
a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I live. Behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and have and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have a story for you guys. There once was a king who ruled over a kingdom. And there were many, many people in his kingdom. And he ruled over them justly and fairly with love and compassion. He ruled in such a way that all the people of his kingdom had opportunity and prosperity and protection. They had fair laws, and no one in the kingdom went without need. It was a perfect place to live. However, a day came when one of the sons of the king, an evil son, decided he hated his father and hated his father's ways. So he went from town to town all through the year, spreading lies and rumors. He said things like, The king is selfish. The king is not just. He is not good. The king does not care for the people. And he does not rule fairly. And he lied and he lied to anyone and everyone who would listen. And whenever he was about to leave a town, he would leave saying this. The sad truth is, my people, my brothers and sisters, that the king does not rule well. The evil king, the evil son did this for a year. In, the, in that same year, the, the good king found out about what his son was doing. And so the good, good king sent out messengers to all the places of his kingdom. And the messengers brought white clothes, white robes. And they went high and low to every person, saying and offering this. They said, choose if you are my servant. I command you to take and wear this robe, wear it as a gift at all times, and obey my laws. The messengers did this until every person had heard their crying. And those who took the robes and obeyed the king's laws suffered all through the year at the hands of those who rejected the king, the king's laws, and the king's gifts. And every day the king would go to the highest point of his kingdom and look out and see the people and see the struggle of those who obeyed him. 
The next year, the evil son went from town to town again. And this time, instead of spreading rumors, he simply asked the people, why do we submit to someone who does not care for us? Why do we serve a king who doesn't rule? Why do good people serve a bad king? And whenever he left a a town, he would leave saying, the sad truth is that the king is not able to rule. In response, the good king again sent out messengers, and he actually joined them in disguise, and he went among the people offering white robes and saying, choose if you are my servants. I command you to take and wear this, this gift, this white robe, and obey my laws. And those who took the, white, the clothes suffered at the hands of those who rejected the king, the king's gifts and the, king law, the king's laws. And the king saw their struggle and knew their struggle as the messengers and those who served him were mocked, had mud thrown on them, and were murdered. A third year came and the evil son went through all the kingdom and this time simply said this wherever he went. He said, the king is weak and no king at all. He sits in his castle, but he does not and cannot rule the land. Let us each do as we please, for we are now kings. In response, the third year, the king sent out the messengers with the gift of white clothes. And this is all he commanded. He said, they, each messenger said, if you believe that I am your king, if I am your king, take this year these white clothes, and I will pardon and I will forgive all the transgression, all the rebellion of these last three years. And many took the gift, for the request was small, and the gift was free. And many feared the consequences. And others saw that the poverty and the chaos which had spread by their rejection. But there were still some who scoffed, and they rejected the king. And they killed those who wore white, And they struck those who took the clothes. And those who believe suffered. And the king saw and the king knew their struggle. And the day after all the messengers had gone through all the land, storm clouds rolled in and covered the whole land. And the boom of thunder was heard all around. And at that time, the king rallied his army and marched from the east to the west And as he marched, the roll of thunder covered the sound of the marching army so that all were surprised. And as he met those wearing white, he said, join my army, follow me. And he gathered those who wore white and he gathered those who didn't. And among those who didn't, there were those who cursed the king openly. And there were those who said to the king, we are your servants And the king responded, how can you be a servant when you ignore my laws, you ignore my commands, and you even ignore my forgiveness? Last week, we ended our uh, time in the series of John, this Who is this Jesus series in the book of John. And we ended with this question, this question of, in response to Jesus' claim, we ended saying Jesus is one of three options. He is Lord, he is a lunatic, or he is a liar. 
And I like those three options because it frames who Jesus is. He has to be one of those three. But what that frame doesn't capture is that we can respond in four ways to who Jesus is. I'm curious if you know how the four ways are or what the four ways are. There are three options but four responses. See, we can say Jesus is Lord. We can say Jesus is Lord or we can say he is a lunatic, he is a liar, or we don't care. It doesn't matter. And that is a response. But it's a response with a great danger. You know, there's a story of two passengers who were on a, on a ship. And they were just relaxing in the sun and enjoying the ocean breathes. And they overheard a captain speaking to a sailor. He, the captain said, is the boat sinking? Go and see. And the sailor left. And after a few minutes, he returned. And he said, yes, the ship is sinking and is doomed. It's just a matter of time. On hearing that, one of the passengers immediately headed for a lifeboat. However, the other passenger simply rolled over and went to sleep. For he didn't feel any water, and it wasn't his ship. Why should he care? The same story could be told of a burning building where the smoke hadn't reached a floor, and so why should one worry about fire? Or a falling plane. Sure, it's 10,000 feet in the air. Why take the parachute? We always have an option to answer and to respond to truths before us with indifference. And I think the sad reality is quite often that's the human response, far more than confidently claiming that he's a lunatic or a liar. We simply say, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me now. The sad thing is, indifference doesn't mean there isn't a consequence. The response we give today could save our lives, could sustain our lives. And the lordship of Jesus over our lives is one of those sinking ship, burning building, falling plane situations where a life-saving answer, a life-saving answer is given, but a life-saving response is needed and needed before it's too late, before the ship is underwater, or the building is entirely on fire. Even if at the current time, the moment of impact seems far away or feels far away. And that's why I'm super excited to jump into Revelation. Because it's showing us this hint, this, uh, this moment of impact coming, this moment of significant, significance. And I know I gave a bunch of examples that are really downers, but at the same time, we can have moments of significance which are causes for joy, right? The significant moments of, of marriage or of professions of faith, those are Decisions which are incredibly life-giving and um, creating. And so Revelation is written to this church, this church which is suffering. This church which is suffering because in the response to a sinking ship, they have jumped onto a lifeboat. 
But in that decision, that decision of Jesus being their Lord, that decision of saving their lives, they find that the people who remain on the boat hate them and are responding with persecution and with suffering or with with malice. Those who, who do not care enough to save their own lives still will not respond to those who do with apathy or indifference, but rather they persecute. And so the book of Revelations is written to a church which is struggling and suffering with persecution which is internal and external from friends and enemies and those who are false teachers. It's written to a church who is struggling with the internal sins and the external sins of the world. It is written to those who have put on white clothes, decided to follow their king, and in response they find out that those around them hate them for it. Anyone who has worn white clothes knows that it is difficult enough to keep clothes white just on your own, right? But imagine how much more difficult it is when everyone else despises you for it and tries to muddy what you wear and how you live. And so Revelation is written to a discouraged church, a church who has decided to take a difficult path for the love of of Jesus. And so you can see in verses 3 and 4 what is spoken to them. It's this word of encouragement. It says, Blessed is the one who reads and those who hear and who keep what is written, for the time is near. It's a word of encouragement. But it's not only a word of encouragement, it's a reminder of who they are. See, and where they stand. Verse 4 continues and says, Grace and peace from him who was and is and is to come. From him who is the ruler of the kings on earth, who loves you and has freed you from sins by his blood, who has made you a kingdom and priests to his God and Father. See, this struggling church, this church, well, seven churches that are struggling to follow and to live in, in, in relationship and under the king's laws, And under his commands, they're reminded of where they stand with him. They are reminded of who they are, but also who they are in Christ, by Christ. That they are freed, not by their actions, but by his. That all they have to do is receive. That's the last command of the good king, was to receive the white clothes. And so Revelation is written to a church who has chosen Jesus as their Lord, but is suffering. And John even mentions, he says, I am your brother and partner in tribulation, in the patient endurance that is in Jesus. And John wrote that from exile on the island of Patmos. Revelation is a letter which encourages those who serve the king who rules the kings of earth even when it doesn't feel like he rules anything on earth. 
It is written to the churches who are in the first or the second or the third year of the evil son's chaos. And they are struggling and they are suffering. But what I love about Revelation is it isn't just this hang in there, keep it up, attaboy kind of cheap advice. It's built on the actual revelation of who Jesus is. Because in response to the evil son's, you know, claim that this, this king is, the good king is weak, we see a Jesus who does rule well, who is able to rule well, rule well and is far from weak. You know, two weeks ago, I preached on Jesus being the good shepherd, right? And I said that that was Jesus simplifying who he was to us as much as possible, condescending, simplifying who God is in the illustration of a shepherd. But here in the very first chapter of Revelation, what we get is not a simplification of Jesus. What we get is John trying to capture, trying his best to capture the full divinity of Jesus. And he does that in titles, calling him the ruler of the kings on earth, the Alpha and the Omega, the Almighty. But he does it in description too. You know, a few days ago, I was in a restaurant and I watched one of those strongman competitions. It had a, they had it on the TV. Those guys are massive. And so I'm watching these ridiculous guys carrying like 850 pounds of steel. They are guys who I would describe as like grizzly bears. But I would never describe any of them the way John describes Jesus. They can carry steel beams they can carry boulders, but they can't hold stars in their hands or the keys of death and Hades. You know, as I was watching that show too, I couldn't help but have, every time I've seen those, I've always had this thought. I've always thought, I wonder how long I could last in a fight with one of those guys. There's a reason men die young. But I've always thought that. And it was super funny as I watched them bench 500 pounds and I think, all right, I'm 160, okay? If I fought him, I'd have to be pretty fast because I'm pretty sure he could kill me with one hand. So I'd have to, that, that would be the trick, making sure he never lays a hand on me or else I am dead. That's what, and that's what these strong guys remind me of. But in contrast, look at, look at how John reacts to Jesus. See, it's Jesus' very appearance. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't even have to lay a hand on a person. And in fact, it's him putting his hand on John that comforts him. He says, fear not. For I am the first and the last and the living one. There is comfort to be found in someone's might who is familiar. I'll give you guys some really good parenting advice. First off, teach your kids never to talk to strangers. Second, if that stranger has flaming eyes and a sword tongue, run. They should run. 
But if you remember two weeks ago, the familiarity of the voice, right? The might of this Lord, the power of this God is nothing to fear, but something to find comfort in. And that's what it's built off for the the seven churches as we'll explore in the weeks to come. That the Lord of power is powerful and also gracious. See, although Revelation starts out, the very beginning of this book says, keep what is written. That is built off of a foundation which says, him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, has made us a kingdom. In the coming weeks, we're going to explore seven churches and their struggles, their struggles with sin and a world which wants to drag them down into the mud. And Jesus is going to speak to them. Even today in our text, we see that Jesus stands in the midst of the lampstands. He stands among the churches. And From that place, he's going to speak to these seven churches. And every time he speaks, he's going to say, I know your struggles. I know how you're tempted. How you're tempted to hide your faith, to compromise your faith. And then he's going to speak how how we can correct. He's going to teach and he's going to build up his church. He knows their sins, and he knows our sins, the sins of this church. And he has conquered those sins. And then he's going to give each church this invitation to become co-victors in the kingdom which is coming. The Lord who is mighty is going to call each of his seven churches to keep mighty commands But he's not going to do that from a distance. He's actually going to come and walk among us. And he's not going to call us to do it without him because we don't do it without him. He's going to say, keep what is written through him who loves you and who has freed you from your sins and made you a kingdom and made you priests to his God. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you with the burdens of of the weak. Lord, with the struggles of the world and the struggles which we each have in our own lives. And Lord, sometimes it, it can feel discouraging. It can feel like the Lord we serve is far from us. And that the The Lord we serve doesn't have the might and the power of of creation and of death and of life. But Lord, we are reminded by your spirit. We are reminded in your presence and in the presence of your kingdom as we gather every Sunday of who you are and who we are and who you've made us to be by the powerful work of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and now lives and lives forevermore. Amen.